Amen. Well, there's no fancy title for this. It's just Graduation 2023. But today, we celebrate our graduates. We celebrate them. We're not necessarily celebrating their accomplishments, though good job to you if you got through your classes and have graduated from high school. Uh, What we're really celebrating, though, is there's this transition, this chapter changing in life as young people become young adults. And there's a lot that goes into that, but we've had a lot to do with their lives. They've been integrated into our family of faith, and we've gotten to live life with them and see them grow up. So we're not really celebrating necessarily the graduation so much as we're celebrating them. We're celebrating them as young adults that we love and care for as they're starting this next chapter in their lives. We celebrate them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, granted, you see the gray coming. I'm I'm your much older brother, but I'm still your brother in Christ. And I've gotten to watch you grow up over the years, some more than others, and but all of you in one way, shape, or or form. We celebrate them as individuals who God wants to use in their own unique ways. I've talked about uniqueness already this morning. As you look at one another, and as we, you know, we'll, we'll look at you as you come up here, you're different. You're not the same. There's, there's not a cookie-cutter thing, um, one of us among, there's not one here who's a cookie-cutter copy of the next. God made you unique, but he He made you unique for a purpose, to attend to the needs of others that he put in your life in a way that the next person along the line couldn't do exactly like you could do because they're not you and you're not them. So we celebrate that uniqueness among them, knowing that God didn't give them the gifts that they have and they're all talented in their own different ways. I've watched them excel in different things and do different things and have different skills and abilities. God didn't give you that for no reason, though. God gave you those unique talents that we're celebrating with a desire that you would be able to use them in a way that would lift him up, put the spotlight on him with your lives, and minister to the needs of people around you. And very often, young people and adults of all kinds struggle to understand that God didn't give me, he didn't make me who I am and give me the talents and gifts that he did for no reason. He didn't do it so that I could show the world just how valuable I am or how important I am to prove to people that I'm worthwhile or to find my sense of self-esteem and purpose by looking at how other people respond to my talents. He didn't give it to me for that reason. He said, you find your sense of value by seeing how much I love you and how much I care for you and how much I've done for you. I gave you those talents not so that you could affirm some sense of self-worth. I gave you those talents and abilities so that you could use them to put the focus and the spotlight on me. So we celebrate that because you are unique. Each one of you have had different interactions with over the years and you're very different. Now, there's obviously a range there. It's but you're all unique in your own way, so we celebrate that. Now, it also happens to be Mother's Day, too. So we celebrate mothers. And we celebrate various things about them, but we celebrate their care, concern, and affection that they show to their children. Now, of course, that's in an ideal scenario. Not everybody really looks forward to Mother's Day. Uh, Some people have not had good mothers. 
But then think about motherly influences that you've had in your life, people that have been surrogate mothers, people who have filled the gap that was maybe missing with, your, with a biological mother. But we, and, and, and celebrate them today as you think about being intentional about thinking about the motherly influences that we've had in our lives that God has used for our good. So their care, their concern, their affection. How about mother's example exam, being examples of sacrificial love? It's really hard to find better examples of what sacrificial love looks like than mothers and f- fathers in a, different, in a different way or a similar way, but, but slightly different. As examples of what it means to give up of your own life, the substance and the essence of your dreams and your hopes and your, and your priorities in exchange for the well-being of your children. You see that in very, very often in mothers. We celebrate mothers and their spiritual encouragement, instruction, and training that they provide to their children, again, in an ideal world. And so I naturally want to share a few thoughts and words of encouragement for each as we kind of have two celebrations merged together here. I don't know that this has ever happened before, but this was the only day that worked. Sometimes people have this idea that life is neat and orderly and tidy (laughs) and everything just works out perfectly. It doesn't. Young people, you know this already. I'm not telling you anything new, but as you go off in the light, it's messy. It doesn't always work out just right. And so here we are. We're going to celebrate Mother's Day and graduation here today. And and I'm going to share a few thoughts about each. Now, I was thinking about this somewhat challenging task of what passages would we go to that would would sort of bring out some principles or encouragements for sort of both, both things, Mother's Day and a graduation service. And one that came to mind was the biblical account of the impact that Eunice had on Timothy. And Eunice was... Timothy's mother. So let's take a look at that. We're going to start with a mother's godly influence. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background before we turn to the passages that I really want to pull some principles out of this morning. A little bit of background about Timothy. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but if you want to hear some of the details about Timothy, you can listen to the very first message in the Philippians series that I did here at church, just go on Sermon Audio to the Philippian series, look at the first introductory message. It talked a lot about Paul's companion, Timothy, and, you know, sort of where he came from, what was his story. But one thing I wanted to touch on is that Timothy came from a a home that had mixed values when it came to spiritual matters. Timothy's parents apparently had divergent faith perspectives. Now, we can't say that dogmatically, but it seems to be the case. If you want to see this, turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. We're going to hear, we'll see a little thing that was recorded by Luke in Acts as he's talking about Timothy and his background. Now, Timothy, you'll know his name if you've been around the things of faith. If you spent any time in your Bible, you'll know that there's two books that bear his name, First and Second Timothy, letters that were written by Paul to Timothy, who we're going to see Paul took on as a fatherly figure in his life, a spiritual mentor, uh, one who had a great deal of impact on encouraging him and nurturing him and teaching him and training him and equipping him for the work of the ministry. But verse 1, we'll read of Acts chapter 16, it says, Then he came to Derbe and Lystra 
And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. Now, he is in reference to Paul. And there was a certain disciple there named Timothy. Now, who was he? He was the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. So we know this about Timothy's mother. She was a believer. It says, but his father was Greek. Now, that wouldn't even really be relevant if it weren't for the fact that he just used the word believed in relation to his Jewish mother who had apparently been a believer, who had been saved. So the takeaway there is that in all likelihood, not only was his father not from a Jewish background, but his father also likely wasn't a believer because otherwise they would have said that about the father. So they would have said something like the son of two believers, one Jewish and one Greek. It would have said something like that. But in fact, it highlights that the mother was a believer, but sort of contrasts that with a father who wasn't. So you think about a mother's godly influence. There's times, of course, where parents have divergent faith perspectives, where it's not necessarily the same. And they're not teaching or promoting the same truths to their children. Sometimes it falls on one to who has seen the light of the gospel to introduce that light into their child's life, even though... The father isn't in a position to do that or has a differing perspective. Now, as you think about that, now, of course, we're talking about a mother's godly influence. The reality is there's all kinds of influence that you face in your lives, young people. You're not that different from Timothy. You may have had both parents be believers, both parents be sharing the same faith perspective in your life, so maybe that wasn't the thing. But each person, no matter who you are, you're faced with these competing perspectives that are being pushed at you by the world on one hand and by, well, Satan ultimately, this, the sin nature on one hand going along with that, the, the thinking though ultimately being de- considered to be worldly thinking, but ultimately under the direction of the evil one, Satan. But then the Spirit of God and God's influence and his desire to point you to the truth. And the reality is you have those divergent perspectives that you have to deal with no matter what. But in the case of Timothy, it came right into the home. It wasn't just like the home was a place where there was this uh, uniform view about the matters of faith. Apparently there wasn't, not even in the home. For some of you, you've been blessed with the idea that both parents have a similar faith perspective or a shared faith perspective and so you haven't had to deal with that. But when you leave the home, that's always true anyway. That's kind of just an aside. But that's the reality of the battle we're up against. There's different perspectives that are being pushed on us. And the question is, which perspective will I adopt? Which, which perspective will I accept as true? But I want you to see this. Despite the fact that there was these divergent faith perspectives in Timothy's homes, apparently the influence of mom and ultimately grandma, his grandmother was greater than whatever influence his father had. Turn to Second Timothy chapter 1. And I hope this is encouraging to you mothers and parents. You have the opportunity to have a great influence a a godly influence on your children, regardless of the circumstances, even if you don't have a partner who's sharing in that load at home. You still have that opportunity to have an influence that's even greater than some of these opposing influences that your children face. In this case, it was opposing influences even in terms of the parenting structure, but in other instances, it's all these other opposing things. So let's pick up in verse 3. Paul, again, is writing this letter. It's a very personal letter, writing it to Timothy. And he says this, I thank God whom I serve 
with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. Now, is that how you think about, I mean, even look at your fellow graduates. Uh, mothers, look around at other people in your life or look at your children if they're here. Is this, is this how you think about people? Now, this is talking about Paul, not a mother, but what a perspective that we all should have. We're here to talk about mothers today. But do we have this perspective that we look at those that we love with this mentality of having such a concern for their spiritual well-being that without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. I know I've seen a drawing of a little illustration of a, a mother that's got a rope wrapped around their child's waist and their child's leaning over a cliff and the mother's on her knees praying with the rope attached to her and attached to the kid. And, and it's the, the illustration is many a mother. It's something to the effect of many a mother has saved their child from ruin through their faithful prayers. And you just think about that, just again, not a direct application because this is Paul we're talking about. What an introduction. Verse 4, he says this, greatly, I have this great desire to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. I know how hurt you are to know about the things that are going on in my life as Paul is being subject to persecution here is being tried and ultimately is, is found guilty and is going to be executed. This is the last letter that he writes. Verse 5, when I call to remembrance though, this is the thing that fills me with joy. Think about Paul saying, this is what fills me. I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Now if you look at the, the King James version, the original version of that, it says when I call to remembrance the unfeigned or unhypocritical faith. The idea is that it's not like there's such a th that the Bible really qualifies faith. You either have it or you don't. But what he's saying him is the thing about your faith is that you're living out your faith in a way that other people can see is unhypocritical. It's not fake. It's not phony. It's not something that you have it internal only and it's not being expressed externally in a way that could benefit other people. In any event, uh, he talks about how that's the thing that is causing me joy. He says this though, where did he get that faith from? So I'm filled with joy when I call to remembrance your unfeigned faith. But then he says this, it's in you, but it first dwelt in your grandmother Lois. Then who did it go to? Your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded is in you also. Now you talk about our purpose you can find this in the Psalms how one generation shall declare your praises to the next. This, awe, this idea of passing on this awe for the Lord from one generation to the next generation and how it becomes a multi-generational thing. Now, if any one, there's any one spot where that gets lost, then it's lost in terms of the whole progression. If it doesn't pass from one to the next, then all of a sudden, future generations aren't connected to the same thing that the original generations were. So as you think about even you, you represent a, a generation here in our church. And the reality is, is this going to be something that this awe of God, do you have it? Some of you may, some of you may not. I don't know that. Only God knows your heart. But if you have that awe for God, do you have a sense that I one day hope to pass that on to the next generation after me? And you see that even mothers, as we're looking at the godly influence that mothers can have, a grandmother here, Lois, had 
a godly influence on her daughter, Eunice, so much though that even though Eunice was in a situation that was perhaps less than ideal in terms of parenting, in terms of spiritual matters, that Eunice then was able to pass this on to Timothy, this awe of God, this faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, what were they passing on? They were passing on this message of hope. We talked about my living hope. They're passing on a message of how a sinful man or woman could be put into a right standing with a holy God on the basis of what somebody else could do to fix that problem. The, 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 the message of the gospel that needs to be passed from one generation to the next is this message of hope, this message of good news. How we're born estranged from God, we're separated from God on, on account of our association with the sin of Adam, the sinful race of Adam that we've been born into, and then our own sinful choices. And because of that sin that we're now associated with, it separates us from God and His holiness. But the good news that was passed on from one generation to the next year, Lois to Eunice to Timothy, the message you think about mothers, what's my primary message? It's to pass on for starters the gospel message, the good news of how Jesus found a way to break down this wall of partition, this separation of sin that was separating a sinful man from a holy God by becoming sin for us. And so although we deserve to stay separated from God because of our association with sin and that the guilt of that sin, the, the just penalty for that sin was to have to be estranged from God forever. God in His love said, I don't want those that I love so desperately to stay separated from me. I want them to be with me in time and in eternity. I want them to have access to me. Well, something has to be done about this problem, though, because there's this separation, separating wall of sin that is causing there to be no access between a sinful man to a holy God. So God, in his love, of course, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to break down that wall as he died in the place of sinners as he paid the debt that we rightfully deserve to have to pay because God being just, he couldn't just overlook sin. He, something had to be done about the sin and the, the penalty of sin was to stay dead or stay separated from God. So Jesus, he became sin for us. He became the sacrifice to die in our place. And so the message of hope that mothers, we hope to pass on to our children is that God in his love made a way for us to be with him. And he did that by paying the debt we owed so we wouldn't have to pay that debt. And so as he died on the cross, it wasn't for his sins, it was for your sins and mine. And so we communicate that to children, that Jesus, in his love, it wasn't enough that he loved us generally. He had to demonstrate that love by being willing to sacrificially take our place, pay our debt, die for us. And so as Jesus died on the cross in agony, having been separated from his father, crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was bearing your sins and mine and all of the sins of the world. So the question is, if Jesus then died on the cross, paid the debt for all man's sins, what is separating man from God now if sin has been taken care of on Calvary? And the answer is nothing other than man's choice to either accept the gift that Jesus offers, the payment that he's made on his be man's behalf, either accept that by putting their trust in that, saying, I believe that. I'm convinced and persuaded to put my trust in that. In that moment, we now have access to God. We're born into God's family. God's spirit comes and lives inside of us so that God is now in us and we're in him.
And so in that sense, positionally, we're now become a part of God's royal family. We're sons of God. We're citizens of heaven. We now look forward to this bright future where one day we'll be with him forever. But in time, we have this access to God to live life with God because of nothing but our acceptance of what God has already provided for us in the person and work of his son. Now, what stops people from having that access to God, being able to live life with God and look forward to an eternity spent in heaven with God? rejecting what Jesus has done for them. You see, the payment's been made, but has the payment been applied to your account? See, everybody's account is indebted. It's, it's in debt. It's, it's, it's in the red. And there's nothing that can be done by you or I to fix that. The moment we put our faith in Christ, though, Christ's righteousness is imputed. It's credited to our negative accounts. So now our account can be put in a good standing. We can be said to be right with God on the basis of Christ's righteousness having been applied to us, to our account. So that we're now, through faith in what Christ has done for us, we're clothed in his righteousness. And God says, now I can look at you and I find you to be completely acceptable to me because all I see is you wrapped in the righteousness of my son. Now you and I can have an intimate relationship for all of eternity because you are now standing in the shoes of my son who is perfectly right so that even though you were unrighteous, you're not any longer associated with your unrighteousness that came from your birth into the race of Adam, into the human race. You're now identified with this new position in my son. Well, mothers, you talk about what a mother can pass along to a child. Is there anything more critical than passing along the message of how a child can know for sure that they're going to go to heaven when they die, that they're going to be able to live life with God on the basis of what his son Jesus Christ did on their behalf. It starts there, of course, but it sounds like, as we get into this a little bit further, it sounds like he was trained in a way that he learned not just about the general, how do I become a part of God's family? It sounds like he was taught to have a more developed faith and understanding of the things of faith so that he would be able to have this description where he had this good reputation that when Paul came along, he said, there's somebody that I see has a zeal for Jesus Christ. There's, there's somebody who I see has a zeal for introducing this message to others. And I want to take him under my wing and mentor him and help develop him so he can have a pastoral ministry of his own one day. But you see, mothers, this all started with a grandmother who had faith, passed that faith along to her daughter. Her daughter then passed that faith along to her son. Now, can your faith save your children, mothers? The answer is not directly. God doesn't have grandchildren. God only has children. You're either born into his family yourself because of a personal decision to put your trust in the finished work of his son, or you're not. You're either a child or you're not. There's no grandchildren that they, they get in on this because of their parents' faith directly. But indirectly, mothers, children get in on this because of your faith your faithfulness in proclaiming the gospel message clearly and accurately and showing that faith in your own life in a way that would make it real and persuasive to your child. So it would be more than just words. They would see the love of God in you. They would, they would see, as they see you go about your life, they would see you as an example of the things of faith. When they hear you speak, they would hear Jesus in your words. When they listen to you speak, they would hear him speaking through you. So that the things that you were teaching them would now be consistent with 
the life that you were leading practically, and they would say, this is real to my mom. This is something that has really gotten hold of her. Look how different she is than these other people around. Look at, look at the happiness, the joy of the Lord that gives her strength. Look at how she responds to trials and hardships. She responds in faith. She responds in prayer. Look how she handles adversity. Look how she responds to others who have, are going through difficult things. Look at how selfless she is and how sacrificial she is. Look at how I can see Jesus in her. And mothers, obviously, that's the same would be true when we get to Father's Day. But the same would be true even if you don't have biological children. God has called on you to be the reflection of Him. That's what an, an ambassador is. It's proclaiming a message, but He's doing it in a way where the message is effective because there's a connection between the one presenting it and the message that's ultimately being proclaimed. There's a consistency there. So as you think about your life, your life is to be a reflection of Him. So that people, when they see you, they see Him. They hear you, they hear Him. When they're touched by you, they're touched by Him. And that's our mission, mothers. And so when you think about being a mother or being, having a motherly influence in other people's lives, because I, I know some of you are surrogate mothers, you're, you're motherly to many people, many of you are that way to me. And I thank God for each and every one of you. I have my own mother sitting here today. I have the mother of my children sitting here today, and I thank God for them. But there's many motherly influences here in this church that have had great influence on me. I hope when you think about the influence of your parents and you think about what influence do I hope to be on others, I hope you see it. God wants me to be that kind of an influence on others. We need to keep moving. When we think about Timothy, turn back to Acts 16. I should have had you had a marker there. But I just want you to see that this influence of Timothy's mother and grandmother was, was profound. It had a, an effect on him. Now, this is still a continuation of what we read about Timothy in verse 1 of chapter 16. Now, in, cha- in verse 2, it says, He, again, still referring to Timothy, was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. He saw him as an asset to the mission effort. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in the region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Now, there's not a lot there, but just you read between the lines and you see the influence of Timothy's mother was profound. It was enough so that he had this outwardly visible zeal for Jesus Christ that Paul could see and he could say, I want to help that young man grow even more in his faith. He'll be a great asset to the mission team. And he took him with him on many of his travels from there forward. Now, as you think about just being a mother, before we move on to the sort of the more the graduation focused part of this. You see, your children 
are being confronted by divergent faith perspectives. Perhaps not by a co-parent, but your children are under attack. So mothers, as you want, if you want to be encouraged about something, I want to just encourage you to stay focused on the danger that your child, children face and how God wants to use you as a protector in their lives. He wants to use you as a godly influence in their lives. And this proves that that influence can be pr- significant, that it can have a carryover. Now, you're not responsible for how a child responds per se. A child has to choose their own response, but you're responsible when you think about parenting. Parents are responsible to give their children a Christ-like perspective about life so that they can either take that, let's just picture it as a, a bar of truth, they can take that bar of truth and they can bite into it and digest it and eat it, internalize it, come to have a a personal desire for that, like the flavor of that and say, I want to be, I want to continue in that. I want to be just like my mom. I want my faith to be like hers. Or they can say, I'm not eating it. I'm not buying it. I don't accept that. And sadly, we don't have the ability to force those outcomes on our children. Our, our responsibility before the Lord is just to provide it to them, to show it to them, to introduce them to it, to model it for them. And then it falls on them to make their choices as far as how they're going to respond to it. By God's grace and through His enablement, though, your influence is potentially greater than the influence of the world. It's potentially greater than the influence of a co-parent even who has a different faith perspective that's really encouraging to it's it's really convicting too i know that but it's also really encouraging to say i have the potential to have a greater influence on my children than the attack that is happening all around them i have that potential now it's not guaranteed so the question though is really what kind of influence will you be and if you think of proverbs 22 verse 6 it says train up your child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I can, you've seen every variation. If you've been around for any period of time, you've seen every variation of this. Well, what does that mean exactly? It means that you've given them the opportunity to know what's true, to have been exposed to what's true. You've given them the opportunity to respond to what's true. And in many instances, you've actually given them the gospel so clearly that they've gotten saved. They have accepted what you said was true about Jesus and what he's done for them. Now, why? Because they accepted a lot of things that you said were true. Some of them actually were. Some of them were just your opinions. (laughs) But many children, if they have a normal nurturing situation at home, they accept what their parents say is true. So as you introduce them to the message of Jesus and his love, I believe in most instances, in many instances, they accepted that. They may have been confused about it later in life. They may have later gotten a different worldview and decided to go a different direction. But in many, many instances, I actually believe that they accepted it with childlike faith the same way they accepted that the Vikings are superior to the Packers. (laughs) They had no real evidence to base that on. And they would come later to find out statistically that that wasn't true. But yet, as, child, as children, they accepted what you said was true. And they came to never, in, many, in some instances, they came to never 
let go of that, even though there was no rational basis for it. I'm talking about the Packers Vikings. <laughs> but that's true with the things of faith, too. I really believe that in many, many instances, those young people, as they heard the message of Jesus and his love, they accepted that as true. But they came later on to be bombarded and bombarded and bombarded and bombarded and bombarded and bombarded and bombarded bombarded with the world saying it's not true. You can't rely on that. You can't trust in that. And some of them were shaken from their faith. The foundations were rattled loose. The you know, you think about a storm surge coming in, knocking the house off the foundation. Now, is the foundation still there? Yeah, but where's the house? Well, it's floating down the block. Some of them never come back. But I like this word, when he is old. Now, it could just mean when he's an adult, and I think that's actually what it does mean. But for many, don't give up hope. Some of you mothers are here this morning, and you're, you, know, you have children that, seem to have just lost, lost their way or lost their faith. They're still alive though. And in those instances, God's still working. If they ever put their faith in the Lord, His Spirit's living inside of them and He's not done. He's going to finish what He started. He's going to chip away at them. He's going to keep working on them. He's going to keep interacting with them in a way that one day they very well may have a change of heart again. It may not be that simple. It might be up and ups and downs. It might be, might be kind of a circular routine. But it'll still be in there rattling around. I'll tell you one evidence that that's true, that they don't necessarily f- forget the things that they learn. When I was approximately 16 years old, somewhere between 14 and 18, in that span, I went to a camp a Bible camp, it's the, our, our camp. But at one particular time, the topic for that camp, and most of the young people here have been to Bible camp. But one of the topics was the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm now 44, okay, so let's say 14 to 44, that was 30 years ago. So if it was when I was in ninth grade that that was the topic, I don't know if it was ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. I'm not sure which one it was. But let's just say roughly 30 years ago. And the speaker that was talking, he shared kind of an overview summary of the book of Ecclesiastes. And he said, repeat this after me. Apart from a right, vertical relationship with God, man is miserable and life is meaningless. He said, that's the summary statement for the book of Ecclesiastes. Apart from a right, vertical relationship with God, man is miserable and life is meaningless. Now, does that sum up the book of Ecclesiastes? Who's read it? Vanity, vanity. Everything's empty under the sun. He's tried everything. Look for happiness everywhere. Okay, now maybe I was a one-off though, right? You, you could say, uh, that's just a freakish kind of a thing. He, he happened to remember that. Most kids there didn't remember that though. I went to a graduation party last year. At that party, I ran into a girl I haven't seen since we graduated from high school here at the church. She, she grew up here too. Hadn't seen her since, since I was 18. Uh, I walked up to her. She brought up something about the things of faith. I started talking about the things of faith. was encouraged that she still had a desire to talk about those things. I said, do you remember going to Bible camp? She said, yes. 
I said, do you remember when we were taught about the book of Ecclesiastes? I don't know why it came up. She said, yes. Before I said another word, she said, apart from a right vertical relationship with God, man is miserable and life is meaningless. Now, maybe we're just two. I'm just trying to tell some of you parents, though, some of us now are 44, 30 years later, two of us anyway, who were there. She's actually 45. <laughs> two of us remembered this. So don't ever give up on praying for them and knowing that God, he wants to finish that. He, he, he's working in them. He has a plan for them. Be encouraged by that this morning. We need to move on. Advice for young people. Out of this same kind of a passage, there's some advice as you think about Timothy's life. And I want to start by telling you that, you know, parental type of influence, it comes from multiple sources. There's biological influences in a parental kind of a way. There's surrogate kind of parental influences. And many of you have been exposed to people of faith men and women of faith who have invested some kind of a spiritual perspective or influence in your lives. Now, some of it was more effective than others. I mean, some of you poor guys were in my cabin at camp when you were third, fourth, fifth grade. Uh, a couple of you knuckleheads <laughs> kept me up at night, wrestling and roughhousing with each other. There's a, this group in particular, there are several others in this group, uh, some wild, some wild children when they were little, these boys. Uh, I loved every minute of though that I, I don't know what you thought of it. That's, if it was negative, keep it to yourself. <laughs> I love spending that time with you guys talking about the Lord. I don't know if you remember this though. We would, before we'd go to bed at night, we would talk about sharing the gospel. We would talk about what is the gospel and how can we share that message with our friends and we would, we would practice trying to pretend to share the gospel with an, uh, a friend and I would act like I was one of your friends and we would take turns, you guys would take turns trying to share the gospel with me. Do you remember that at all? Okay, well, that's all right. <laughs> I, <laughs> Lots of people though invested trying to positively influence you with the things of faith. And you young ladies, I've spent time with all of you and we've had lessons, and we've talked about different things. Some of you have been on teams of mine at camp. Some of you have been at camp just when I was there as a volunteer or a teacher. It's been awesome to be able to have, try to have that influence. Well, Paul had that kind of influence on Timothy too. So we, we talked about his mother's influence, but let's talk about Paul's influence. In 1 Corinthians 4.17, it just talks about how people have this love for you, even though they're not your actual parent. And Paul describes Paul describes Timothy in this way. He says, for, I, for this reason I have sent Timothy to you. He's writing this to the Corinthians. Now he says this about Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord? Now he says, Timothy is going to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Timothy's going to remind you of the things that I taught you. But just think how he describes him, my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. There's a lot of people here who love you. And in their own ways and in different ways, they've tried to invest in your lives. Now, some of you have more, you know, open personalities. Some of you are more closed off and introverted. Some of you are a little bit more extroverted. That's fine. God made you exactly like that. But just don't, don't forget that there's a lot of people here that they came here today excited 
to celebrate this changing of chapters for you, your, your graduation. Again, most people didn't care that much about your graduation. I'm speaking for them. They, they came here to celebrate you. They love you. They've invested in you. They're happy to see you go off into this next chapter becoming young adults. And they're rooting for you and they're praying for you. And Paul viewed Timothy that way. In 1 Timothy 1, 2, he says to Timothy, he calls him a true son in the faith. He saw him as his own child in some ways. And people have invested a lot in you and they're, they're for you. So don't feel like you've let us down or you've disappointed us if things don't go exactly the way that you planned or you wanted them to. You don't have to have any grand plans for life figured out when you come up here. You know, sometimes people share a little bit about what their plans are. Write your plans in pencil. L- life doesn't work that way. Uh, there's going to be different changes and, and turns of, of direction along the way. Things aren't going to go necessarily exactly how you hoped they would. Every one of us has gone through that to some extent. Uh, every one of us has made mistakes and have, has had failure in our lives. Every one of us has had hard hard things to get through and work through. And you know what remained f- f- the same in all of that was God's love for all of us. And very many people here are actually very gracious. And failure in their own life has made them gracious. It's hard to, to, st- to be judgmental and to be uh, rigid and kind of negative towards other people's failure when you've had plenty of failure in your own life. It has a way of making you more gracious. And so don't distance yourself or, or, or feel like everybody's going to be looking at you with a kind of under a microscope and hoping you make every, every decision right. But we are praying that you don't <laughs> go down some of the roads that we've gone down. There's some mistakes that can be avoided. There are things that you don't have to just because you're going off into this next phase. It's like sometimes people are like, now that I turn a certain age and I have a certain amount of freedom, I must, I must check off all of these negative boxes. Just to, it's just a rite of passage, I must do this. You, you don't have to. <laughs> We're praying for you that you would avoid some of those. We know you won't avoid them all. We're praying that you would avoid some of them. But Timothy had this, Paul had this view of Timothy that was very loving and nurturing where he really cared about him. Now, this is the advice that he has to Timothy. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to share about five verses with you here. We'll get through them relatively quickly and then we'll get you some, some of you up here for your performances. I told him it was going to be like a talent show where they should bring some kind of a Entertaining, entertaining kind of a thing. I didn't tell them that. They're all looking at me nervously now. This is the advice. Now remember, Second Timothy is written in what context? Paul knows his life is going to end. Paul knows he's about to die. And so he's going to be executed. It's unavoidable by the Roman government. And he writes this letter to this young man that he sees as his son in the faith. Now, does it stand to reason that if this is the last letter Paul's going to write, that's in the canon of Scripture anyway, the last letter that we know he writes to Timothy to somebody he loves desperately, does it stand to reason that he's going to write things that are important to him, to Timothy? This This is stuff he really wants Timothy to know. 
So you should see the whole letter that way. But we're just going to pick on these verses here. But let's start with this. His first advice to Timothy is that God is faithful and he always provides. It's a reminder that he makes to Timothy, but he does it somewhat indirectly. But let's pick up in verses 10 and 11. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. Am I in the right place here? Perseverance? Yes. Then he gets to this part. Persecutions of for the Lord. He saw the afflictions that happened to me. He saw the persecutions I endured. Now here's the conclusion though. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. That's the takeaway that he wants Timothy to have in, as it relates to those things is that the Lord is always faithful. The Lord provided no matter what the circumstances were and you got to live that with me as you traveled with me and ministered with me. Now, he wants Timothy to also remember that serving the Lord comes, as a, comes at a cost. And I hope you see this. If you want to serve the Lord, it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to give up on things. You're going to have to give up on things that the world says will make you happy. You're going to have to see things from a different perspective. You're going to have to choose to even move away from people that are hindering your spiritual well-being. It's going to cost you things. You're going to, at times, perhaps, even going to have to decide to break up a relationship as you recognize that this person really doesn't have a common faith in the Lord. This person isn't on the same, it's on the same side as I'm on. This person doesn't have a zeal for the Lord. This person couldn't possibly be a spiritual encouragement to me where they're at right now. So it, it'd be best for me to break this thing off. Does that mean that they never will? Who knows? But just you may have to actually have those costs that you're willing to pay to do what is right and to do the things that will benefit you. So he says this in verse 12. Look at it. Chapter 3, verse 12. Yes, he says to Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know what? Any dead fish can flow downstream with a current. It takes a living fish, a fish that's alive, to swim against the current, to resist the current. The default is you'll just get sucked down the current. That's the default. You don't have to think about that. You don't have to choose that. That will just automatically happen. Choose you this day whom you will serve is, is effectively saying, I have to make a mental positive choice to serve the Lord, to want to put the Lord first, to want to allow His Spirit to give me the power to resist the direction that the world is trying to suck me. You automatically will just go with the flow. That's the default. I hope, I hope you see that. If you are going to live for the Lord, you are going to suffer in some ways. I can't tell you what they exactly will be. It might have to do again with a relationship. It might have to do with job opportunities. It might have to do with where you live. You might have to give up on certain things in order to make better choices as it relates to your spiritual well-being. It's not make all of my decisions and then hope somehow I can fit God in at the end of it and then think that that's going to work out. Now, is God faithful? Yes. Is God loving? Yes. Is God patient? Yes. Is God still going to work with me even here? Yes. But is it going to be in my best interest? No. Am I going to thrive while I consistently put God as an afterthought to my choices instead of trying to have him be the lens that I'm looking through in making my choices? 
Am I going to make my choices while looking through the lens of Jesus Christ in my life? That's true with schools and jobs and relationships. That's, that's true in terms of ge- geographically. Where am I going to live? Is there a church that I can be a part of? Is there a place where I can go to re- be reminded of the things of faith, to study the Word of God, to celebrate who I am in Christ, to worship Jesus Christ? A- am I going to be in a desert by myself? And expect that that's going to produce some kind of fertile ground around me where there's no water to be had? How is my thirst going to be quenched? These are all choices that have to be made. But there's consequences that come from them in terms of your spiritual well-being. God's not going to give up on you. He's going to be with you no matter where you go. But the question is, there's going to be a time where you're going to have to make choices to either stand for the Lord where it involves a cost, a personal cost, or to just go with the flow. So then we come to this next verse, verse 13. Paul wants him to also be reminded that the enemy is real and dangerous. He says this, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You're not, you're not living in a world, you, I hope you know this by now, you're not living in a world that is neutral. You're living in a world that is 100% under the control of Satan and his plan and his purpose and his perspective. So while you're in that, you need to arm yourself with the spiritual armor that God has provided you, which is, is his word, it's fellowship with other believers, it's faith. You think about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's defensive armor so that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. You can't do that without any protection. And so think about, am I going to build that protection around me based on God being my protection? Am I going to put his defenses around me as I go out into the world? Because the enemy is very real. Now, the last one is this. Stay the course. This is his last advice to Timothy that at least I want to cover here. Remember what you've learned. Remember your training. Apply the things that you know. So read verses 14 and 15. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom You learn them, it came from a reliable source, and that from childhood, here we go mothers, from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Who taught him that? His mother and grandmother. You've known them. Now, what are they able to do? They're able to make you wise for salvation. Is that first tense salvation? Probably not. He's probably second tense salvation there. It gives you salvation or victory over the power of sin, sin's influence in your life through faith, meaning ongoing faith, in Jesus Christ and his provision through his spirit in your life. But you think about what he's saying. He's saying continue in the things which you have learned. And that's my advice for you. Continue in it. Don't change direction. Now, I don't know where your hearts are at. Each one of you, I don't, I don't know. Maybe no one else knows that really. Some people suspect it or have some insights into it based on things you've said, the things that you've done. Uh, that's all that they can do, though, is have some insight. Only, new, only you know where you're at. But when you think about continuing in the things that you've learned, you can't continue in something unless it's actually gotten a hold of you to begin with. Some of you might be sitting here, and if you're being honest, you might say, I've never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I've just been going through the motions as my parents have kind of put me through this, have in- introduced me to this, but it's never been real to me. I haven't tasted this. I can't continue in it because I've never been in it. And now I'll just go off and do other things and this isn't going to be a part of my life. 
but I want to keep them happy, keep, a, keep, keep mom and dad happy. Just jump through this one last thing, come up here. And I hope that's not true, but if it is true, it's better to be honest about it, right? And it's better to say, Lord, get a hold of my thinking. Convince me that you are real. Convince me that this is worthwhile. Teach me the things I apparently haven't learned so far. Teach them to me now. I can learn them right now. While I'm learning all these other things, I can learn this right now. And then I can continue in it because I'll actually be in it to begin with. So I don't know what you think of that advice, young people, but I hope that you'd prayerfully consider those things in the next chapter of your lives. I pray that you have learned God's truth. I pray that you desire that your desire would be to continue in the things that you've learned. I pray that you see that your best life, people talk about your best life. Many of your classmates even have talked about that, your best life. I just need to pursue my best life. Your best life has God smack dab in the middle of it. There is no best life without him as the center of it. I hope you see that. Well, we're going to take some time now, friends, to have them come up and do their performances. I don't know if it'll be dances or musical or what, what it's going to be, maybe jokes. I say that in, in jest. We're going to have a time of celebration with them, a time of fellowship with them. Their, their parents have graciously uh, decided to feed you. I, th- I think they said they were going to give a ticket to the people who they wanted. No, no. There'll be, a, there'll be some food in the fellowship hall. I'll give you an opportunity to rub elbows with these young people. We're going to force them to hang around for a little bit so that you can congratulate them. I hope you'll take the time uh, to do that if you can. I understand it's Mother's Day. Some of you maybe had other, other plans and won't be able to stay, but maybe on your way out the door, just come say hi to them. I think I'll maybe ask them to, yeah, maybe just come up to the front, stay up in the front here for a minute so people can congratulate you who aren't going to stay, you know, stay for the meal. And then we'll probably try to keep a few, a few buns or something for you to eat afterwards. <laughs> But what they're going to do is they're going to come up here. Uh, generally speaking, I just ask them to just share a memory if they have any memories or share a verse if they want to share a verse. If they want to talk about their plans, they can. Some of them have plans. Some of them, some of them don't. You don't need to have plans. You're just going to go on with life, hopefully, again, with the Lord at the center of it. And uh, so I know Macy said she wants to go first. She said she's really been working on this routine for quite a while, so... I hope, I hope it's everything that we've been waiting for. So we'll have Macy come up. Hi, my name is Macy Westby. Um, I'm the daughter of John and Shannon Westby and the granddaughter of John and Melody Westby and Greta Nevola. Um, I'm going to be graduating from Virginia this year. I've been saved ever since I can remember, and I'm very thankful to be able to be raised in the church. Um, My favorite memory is camp as a whole, but mainly organized rec, because I come from a very competitive and athletic family, and um, that was really fun. My favorite verse is John 3.16, over there. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And it's very popular and very well known, um, but it's my favorite because I've made it personal. 
Um, my plans are to go to Minnesota North for a year and play volleyball. And then after that, I'm going to go into the LPN program and the RN program. Um, and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. And thank you to my mom, because I wouldn't be where I am today without her. Thanks. Hi, I'm Ava Krauser, daughter to Katrina and Josh Krauser. My favorite verse is Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Basically because it's kind of looking at in the future, there's a lot of worry of I might screw up or I might mess this up, but no matter how bad we screw it up, God still loves us and he's still there for us. My favorite memory is the 7th through ninth grade Sunday school class with Chaz, Josh, and Carl because it was always more of a discussion and we were always just talking about God rather than just it being a lecture. And it really made it personal. It really made it relatable. Um, this year I'm graduating from Eveleth and Minnesota North. And next year I'm going to North Central University for a business degree where I'll also run track and cross country. Brenna Christensen. Um, I'm the daughter of Brian Christensen and Krista Peterson and granddaughter of John and Melody Westby. Um, I'm graduating from Virginia High School this year and my plans in the future are to go to Minnesota North College to finish my AA and get my prerequisites and I will later transfer to a two-year program for sonography and radiology. Um, I've grown up in the church um, I'm very grateful to be here, um, and I've just always been very strong in my faith, and I'm very grateful to have that kind of security and foundation. Um, my favorite verse is John 13:7. Jesus answered and said unto him, "What I do now, what I do, thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter." So that is really important to me because it just shows that every trial that you go through, everything that you think is negative in your life, you will later use that to help grow in Christ and you'll know that everything happens for a reason. Um, My favorite memory is camp, obviously, (laughs) with friends and family. And um, obviously, spike ball, spike ball competitions are really something I look forward to. Um, I just want to say thank you and happy Mother's Day to all. Hi, my name is Matt Morgan, son of Aaron and Cindy Morgan. Since I'm up here giving this speech to you right now, it means somewhere along the line that I must have done something right. 
I want to start by thanking my family and God for his graciousness, because I'm not sure how they put up with me for the last 18 years. But they must love me, because as far as I know, they never put me up for adoption. <laughs> I'd also like to thank the church for all the great memories it's given to me throughout the years. And finally, thank you all for coming. Whether I know you or not, your pres presence is appreciated. If I had to pick where I've had my fondest memories, I think I'll have to hop on the bandwagon and say camp was always the most fun. There was always a great time to be had, whether it was a team sport or even just sitting around the campfire at night singing songs and listening to stories. This brings me to share my favorite verse with you. It's a verse that my grandparents taught to me many years ago in Wisconsin at a resort we've been going to for as long as I can remember. The verse is Joshua 1.9. Have not I commanded you, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. I used to recite this verse in my head at night when I would get scared of the towel that was staring at me menacingly from the corner of my room. <laughs> now, I'm sure you've all been dying to hear what I'm planning on doing with the rest of my life. I plan on becoming a welder. I recently joined an apprenticeship at, apprenticeship at L&M Radiator, which starts on June 19th. I hope to one day be able to start my own business. With this all being said, thank you for all being here. I hope I didn't bore you too badly. And least, last but not least, thank you to my parents and grandparents who have always been so good to me and my sisters. Hi, I'm Alina Morgan, Aaron and Cindy's daughter. I wanted to start this off by thanking my amazing family for their support through all my endeavors. Dog sports and all. Dad, I especially want to thank you for all your patience, spending eight hours at a dog show with me, waiting literal hours in the frigid weather for me to cross the finish line at a dog sled race, driving a million miles to go pick up another dog you definitely didn't want. <laughs> wasting a whole day to buy dog food for a very large crew of dogs. All things are absolutely miserable, but you still did them for me. You've pushed me to be the best person I can, and all the thank you notes in the world wouldn't be, able to show, wouldn't be enough to show you my appreciation. I also want to thank this amazing church family for the spiritual guidance and fellowship you've provided me over the last 18 years. I've made many, many memories here at Heritage Trail, but my absolute favorite ones have been at Bible camp. From swimming the lake to playing dodgeball, camp was the highlight of the summer. As being a child with little to no responsibilities soon faded away, I began looking deeply into my future. I knew I wanted a, a job involving animals, but never knew or could decide what one would suit me best. So I prayed to God, asking for guidance. I soon began working in a grooming salon and found my passion for grooming. As hard and frustrating as it was to try and bathe the 85-pound mixed breed who definitely didn't want to be bathed, I enjoyed it. <laughs> working with dogs is never easy. Even my own dogs I've trained for years make some very humbling mistakes. For example, the last show I attended, I entered my champion Siberian Husky Fate, whom I've been training for literally her whole life, started doing those classic dog spin circles in the ring, resulting in me flagging down the ring steward to bring me the cleaning supplies. <laughs> it was a fun experience to clean up after her while all the other people, including the judge, watched me. 
In times like these that make me feel so afraid and embarrassed, I like to think of my favorite verse, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things in Christ which strengtheneth me. As I begin packing to leave for grooming school in June, this verse keeps popping up in my head over and over again. Christ will strengthen me. Thank you all for coming. All right, I'm Mason Williams. I'd like to thank you all for coming and supporting me and my fellow graduates. I've learned a lot over the last 12 years and I'm very grateful for that. Not only have I learned the essentials of life, but I've also learned the truth, which is God's love through his gift of salvation to us. I'm moving forward with my life and going to serve in the United States Marine Corps as a metal worker, hopefully just try and do straight welding. I still want to learn of Jesus and grow my faith while I'm away. One verse I will carry with me is Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord our, your God is with you wherever you go. Through the 12 years, I think my favorite memories are all the fun I had at camp, from the first years with my buddy running around camp, exploring, of course, finding the places we weren't supposed to be. <laughs> to just the last year having pizza in our cabin at midnight. I would also like to add that it is amazing to see how God transitions into our lives, just like how almost every football game and swim meet, I was always thinking of my favorite verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things in him that strengthens me. Lastly, I'd like to thank my parents and church family for helping me grow into the man I've become. makes me feel short. Um, I'm Logan Johnson. I'm the son of Paul and Shelley Johnson, grandson of Alden Westby, Cindy Westby, and LMA and Dan Johnson. I want to thank you all for coming out tonight. Thanks for my parents. Happy Mother's Day, by the way, and to all the mothers out there. My mom's been through a lot. She went through cancer. She's beat it, and she's a fighter. I want to thank my dad because, well, he knows picking up a truck on a trailer at 11 o'clock at night because I decided to blow it up in a parking lot. <laughs> and countlessly fixing it because, you know, mudding and all that stuff. But my plans after high school is I'm enrolled and applied to Masabi Range College for the welding program. And from there, there's multiple possibilities. I can go on to the mines or whatever. And this summer, I plan on working for my Uncle Sean Parks doing, you know, remodeling construction for A to Z carpentry. And my favorite Bible verse, I would say, is John 3.16, because that one was the first Bible verse I heard, and it just stuck with me, because we ne I never really went to church when I was younger, but I grew up in a religious household, and it wasn't until my grandma had passed away and my mom got cancer that we started going to church again. So that verse kind of stuck with me, and it kind of was one of the reasons why I started, when I realized I was saved, and yeah, thank you.
Well, amazing job. Nice, nice job, each one of you. It's really hard to come up here and, and do that. So credit to all of you for making the effort to do that and, and, and great job. They say it's scarier than handling snakes. I don't know, but <laughs> we're going to skip our last song just for time's sake. And I'm going to have a little prayer here for the, the food that's going to be served. And then there'll be a time to, to fellowship. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for this time that we could be here today celebrating who you are, what you've done for us, and how amazing a God you are, but also celebrating that you've decided to give us mothers. And thank you that we could think of them here today. Also, thank you for giving us young people, graduates here, that we could celebrate who they are and what they've meant to us and what they mean to you. Pray that they could all continue to be a part of our lives and be a part of our extended faith family and that we could watch them grow older as we continue to grow older. Uh, thank you that you love us so much and that you've made a way for us to have lives that have meaning and purpose and value and that you say that you'll never leave us or forsake us as a couple of the young men reminded us of here with their favorite verses. Thank you for this food that has been provided by these graduates' parents. Pray that you just even bless that to our bodies and that we would enjoy a time of fellowship afterwards. Thank you again for all you've done in Jesus' name.